On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Emily Habeck. Emily has a BFA in theater from SMU's Meadows School of the Arts, as well as a master's degree from Vanderbilt Divinity School and Vanderbilt's Peabody College. She is from Ardmore, Oklahoma. Her debut novel, Shark Heart, is out now, which we both loved. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Emily. Oh, thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Yes. Yeah, so why don't you start... Before we go so deep, let's just start, <laughs> give our listeners a little bit like the elevator pitch for this book, Shark Heart. Yes. So Shark Heart is a love story with a very different heartbeat. And it centers a couple, Lewis, who is a failed actor turned high school theater teacher, and his wife, Ren, who works in finance and a few weeks after their wedding, Lewis starts to experience some really strange symptoms, and he soon receives a diagnosis. And this is at the very beginning of the book, so it's no spoiler. Right. He will, within a year, transform into a great white shark. And so this really derails their plans for the life that they think they're going to have together. And most of the story, at least from my perspective, you guys may think differently, is told through Ren's eyes and... We really see her grapple with this change as she has to kind of deal with her past and the present, as well as the future even, as this man that she loves with her whole heart is slipping through her arms. This really is Ren's story, so we do want to start there with her. When we meet her, she's this blissful newlywed, as you said, but she does have a difficult past, which we come to learn about. And to cope with that, she really craves perfection and predictability and at least the illusion of control, which really feels protective to her. And her name is very significant. Throughout the book, you know, the phrase Wren, like the bird, is said throughout. But there's this passage right before Lewis leaves where he thinks Wren, like the bird, was too ordinary a tagline for a person who was so complicated, colorful, surprising, and smart. She was Wren, like the creatures who fly. And I just, I love that description of her. It's also so perfect for the female protagonist that we love to talk about here. So tell us about your development of Wren, how she came to you, but also this beautifully symbolic nature of her name. Hmm. Well, I think I can't really talk about Wren without talking about Lewis. And mm. I think I, I really struggle with this question in life of like, how do I see reality as it is and at the same time still experience beauty and awe? And I think on one end of the spectrum, like Lewis is this like romantic idealist. His feet are never on the ground. You would think he would be the one with the bird name. And Ren is like very pragmatic and organized and solid. And so I think they both kind of represent this I don't know, maybe this contradiction I wrestle with in my own personality. Like, on one end, like, I am the woman who wrote the shark book. And then on the other side, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I also have to remember, like, how to do all the things for my car and, like, pay my taxes. And I'm a pretty organized person on the whole. And I feel like I'm not necessarily as integrated as I'd like to be on those two things. And I think throughout the course of the novel, Lewis and Wren take a little bit from each other. And I think that's the kind of integration I wish I had in myself. But back to Wren, she is someone who I think is like so many of us in that we just carry like all of these pieces that come from past generations. And it's so easy to be unconscious to those things when you are who you are and you move through the world and you're like, oh yeah, like this is how I approach stress or conflict or good news or bad news. But really, like all of those things are compounded and learned, like and passed on. And, and so throughout Ren's journey, I think I really enjoyed understanding the women in her life that came before her, like starting with her grandmother and her mother that made her who she is. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, especially it's, it's hard to kind of wrestle with those things when they're working for you, especially, which mm -hmm. so many times our coping mechanisms work for a long time and they help us not only survive the period that you're surviving, but then thrive in a different way. And 
then you're like, whoa, like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Is this necessary? (laughs) Do we, you know, like, and, and how can this hurt me and hold me back? And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where we find Ren. And I, I loved it. I really related to Ren so much in this book. Mm -hmm. It was a little scary. I'm like, oh boy, like, (laughs) it was relentless the way I felt like I got her and she was in my head. Mm -hmm. So I really related. So I want to also talk about, as you said, you can't really talk about Ren without talking about Lewis and their relationship. I want to talk about a couple of aspects here because one, and this is indicative of the whole book, it is so kind of out there and wild and impossible and fantasy driven. And yet mm-hmm. the truth is so piercing and incisive. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. the reality and the like, oh God, that is, that's how it is. That's how it feels. That's how mm-hmm. this, you know, thing unfolds is so true. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that happens in certain kinds of books, but this book felt next level for me. Oh, so I want to talk about you. a couple things. One being the kind of the fantasy aspect of it, the interspecies kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> love story of it. And for no, I don't, or maybe you'll tell me what, for no good reason, I am very obsessed with this idea. I loved the movie Splash where uh, Daryl uh-huh. Hannah becomes a mermaid and yeah. or she becomes a woman for a period of time, which is obviously kind of a rom-com take on The Little Mermaid, but also The Shape of Water in more recent times. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, it just feels like the like ultimate forbidden love or like doomed love or how does this work and can it ever work? Let me start there. Where did that idea come yeah. from? You know, as people have asked me this question in, in advance and leading up to the publication, like I have to really think back because I think it was a confluence of things. I'm from Oklahoma and I went to theater school in Dallas and then right afterwards moved to Los Angeles. And I always love going to the beach in LA. And I think it's because it reminded me of the Great Plains. There's like this horizon and kind of endless sky And also growing up in a landlocked place, the beach was always just sort of a novelty. And the ocean itself was this mystery. There are dangers and there are so many things we don't know about the ocean. Creatures there that we've not discovered. And I mean, in great white sharks in particular, there's so many things we we still don't know about their migration habits. So I think subconsciously, the ocean has always been a place of interest, almost like a fantasy world with the mysteries of the sea and imagining what it would be like to navigate the ocean, not as a scuba diver, as a human or as a snorkeler, as like, you know, as I've experienced on vacation at times, but really as part of it, like that was kind of a a delightful thought exercise that I got to play out. But on a deeper level, I think that Lewis's like transformation into a great white shark had a lot to do with my like inward transformation at that time. I had kind of inexplicably stumbled into this crisis of meaning. And I really thought that all the things that I knew for sure no longer seemed solid. And I no longer knew the meaning of art and work and my place in it. I've always had a hard time with change. And I was really grappling with how do I be better at change? Like, what does it mean to even be good at it? And also just existentially, like, what do we do with all the grief in this life? Like, there are so many types of death in life, the the micro deaths within a lifetime from like the changing of seasons and like, and then there are these like milestone moments that are celebrations. Like I'm in this season of my, in my own life of going to a lot of my friends' weddings and amidst the celebration, like I'm like always wondering, is anyone else feeling the grief right now of like, my friend that I've seen through all of these stages is now like making this commitment to someone and they're going to go through life. And I think the part that really just like sends me into this place of just like, oh my gosh, like life is so short and precious is mm-hmm. the like till death do we part. Like mm-hmm. it's like not the commitment that's like that, that's scary to me. It's the till death do we part part is like mm-hmm. the 
of like knowing the end before it happens. And so anyway, I'm an intense yeah. person. Like if, I this, feel, if this all feels well, all the time. someone's going to die. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so yeah. like in this period, like flashback, like seven years ago, I was like, okay, I have to like, I was working in the entertainment industry and film and TV. And I, these questions were just too big for me to keep doing what I was doing. Yeah. And so I took a pause and decided to go to divinity school and I moved across the country and it was the first time in over a decade for sure that I had just not been surrounded by creative people who were like vying for commercial success. And I was, I was like around, I'm not personally religious, but being around people that had such a strong sense of call and like really being like, these gifts are not for me. These are for the world. Like how do I Mm. offer my highest self to help humanity? And like, what does that look like? And I began I think it was like a contact high in a way just to see my work as a storyteller, as an artist, as a vocation. And it just changed everything for me. It was just so, yes, completely formative or reformative maybe is the Mm, right word. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because I realized like, and, and I was working on this book this the whole time, you know, not every day or every month even, but just like it was present for me. And I realized like, oh, if I just help one person with this, like just Mm -hmm. one, and maybe that person is myself. I have, I've done enough. And I think I, I think I move through the world with that more now. And it's just, it's just a a really, I don't know, wholehearted place to be. And I couldn't be more grateful to my community there for just, I don't know, lifting me up in that way. And yeah, bring me and to letting this. you, yeah. yeah, and letting mm-hmm. you kind of take that on, take that change and metamorphosis on. Yeah, I, absolutely. I love so many of the things you were just saying are are wrapped mm-hmm. into the next kind of part of the question, which is there is something about this fantasy element, like getting the diagnosis in their first year of marriage, because there's Mm -hmm. a saying that the first year of marriage is the hardest. And Mm -hmm. it is often about, you know, reconciling the expectations of what it means to be married and Mm -hmm. having, you know, committed yourself to someone till death do you part and what that looks like in reality. And I know for me, I, in my first year of marriage, I wanted it to feel so different. I wanted it to be like magical overnight, you know, like this is a different thing. We are now committed to each other. That's mm-hmm. it. There's no, you know, that that's mm-hmm. the end of that story. And it doesn't. It is just kind of another day, another year. It's part of a slow progression, but I really struggled with that. And there's a scene and I'm going to talk a little bit I'm going to make some funny adjustments to my wording to not give anything away. But there's a scene when Lewis and Ren are in the ocean and together Mm -hmm. and they're having this kind of conversation or more, it's maybe it's more in their, in their minds about like what should happen next. And she is so, she's holding on, she's resisting what's coming, even though she doesn't think she is because she thinks she's training, you know, she'll do scuba. She has all these ideas on how this, this next phase will go smoothly, mm-hmm. but how all she of can that, control it, right? Yes. All <laughs> that really is, is her denial yeah. of it coming. And so yeah. I guess that, that seems built into a lot of what you were talking about coming from, you're saying you don't like change. And so you kind of gave mm-hmm. that to Ren and tell us about writing that scene. Was that uh, an early scene? Was it a scene that kind of came to you? Was it a scene you worked on and noodled with forever? Or tell us about I'm, that. I'm so excited that you asked this question because I don't know. So that was the first thing I wrote. And for Ugh. a while, that was all that it was. Ugh. I just like had this scene. I knew it was so a sea good. creature. I was like, maybe it's a merman. Wasn't sure. I wrote it as a short film. And Ugh. but I just felt like... Ugh. I felt like there was more to the inner lives of these characters and I'd never tried to write a novel before. And I was like, maybe this is a novel. And so I started and then just couldn't stop. So that scene to me is, I mean, as I rewrite everything, I, as many writers do again and again and again, and of all the parts of the book, that place has been touched the least from the very beginning from, from that 
very first draft. So oh, really excited will, that you that you, you picked up on. I don't know the potency oh. of that. Yeah. Yes. We both literally had that scene. We both said this wrecked us. We yeah. both had separate notes on. I mean, I could talk. Mm-hmm. We could talk the entire time about that scene if yes. we could. And the writing. It's beautiful. It's part mm. poetry, part prose. I mean, I, there's obviously a lot of that throughout. That is your writing style and it is gorgeous. But that scene, I was crying, just crying yeah. and crying. It's a beautiful yeah. scene. I love that it was the first one you wrote. I do yeah. too. And it just, it feels like those are the magical moments of writing when you're like, okay, this is something. I don't know what it is, but I know like deep in myself that this is something. Mm. And I love yeah. when we can we can pick up on that that feeling. Yeah, what do you think that is? Like, <gasps> I always I always am like, is it like, yeah. um, like intuition or like a spirit? A, I have I have because it it sounds very woo woo, but I never I never know. Yeah, what yeah. do you think? No, it's a great question, and I don't know that it it. I think it kind of defies definition, a certainly a singular definition, but I. What I do know is I think that's what we're always chasing because that is when I feel so connected to the work, the writing, the, you know, the experience that I'm having. Like when I write something and I'm like, oh, this is something that's Mm -hmm. like, that's why we do this. Right. Yeah. Mm. And it's like only we can know what that is. And like, yeah, that's right. And it's like that self-trust of just being like, this is the thing, like, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I really try to be like aware of what when that turns up in, in my work. It's and rare. So. Yeah. It's yeah. rare yeah. Because, yeah. because we can't – the whole novel can't be centered on those scenes, right? That would just be right. too emotional. But but yeah, yeah. No, I love it. love it. Uh, speaking of beautiful passages, I do – we've talked a little bit about Lewis. I want to read, if you don't mind, a passage where he is talking about being an actor, which – I know we're talking to a theater nerd, as you called yourself, and yes. he is an actor, a drama teacher. I'm also a theater nerd, not like a real one. Like I never acted, but I loved go to the theater. Every theater so a, nerd is a real theater nerd. Oh, that's, okay, that's okay. The inclusivity of the theater. <laughs> that's that's fair point. Fair point. And of course, actors by definition are chameleons. They take on roles, take on cells, and they transform and but he's asking himself why he needs acting and he says he could recite his old answers but they no longer held the same potency he wanted to be an actor because he loved to transform he could do things on stage he could not do in real life he could fight his enemy or land a joke he could fall in love with a narcissist man or goddess he could die for the revolution The stage also was a wonderful place to grapple with life's ambiguity. And because there was an audience, Lewis felt seen, even loved. But an audience's love was not the kind that would go home with him and eat dinner. It was love at a distance, and Lewis wanted to be held and touched by another human, by real life. Could it be that I am lonely and the theater was never meant to be enough? Oh my God. I almost cried. Mm. So Lewis grapples a lot with this difference between being lonely and being alone. And it Mm. comes up a lot in the novel. It also comes up with Ren. And I'm just so curious. I think about this a lot, about the difference between these two things. And I'd love to hear why you wanted to explore that and what your thoughts are on it. Hmm. Thank you for reading that. I've actually never heard another person's voice read it. So oh. it was really, it was really cool. It's um, beautiful. Yeah. I think we live in an extroverted world and no one really likes to talk about the introverts process or it's, it's not like popular. I think I, as an introvert myself, I feel like sometimes when I talk about like meaning alone time, I'm like, am I whining? Like I love these people, but I also just need to like, read in my chair for like an hour. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I really grapple with this. There's a time when I need to turn inward to recharge, to gather energy or ideas. And, and I feel like that's the being alone, but then there's this line that can easily be crossed and it's almost imperceptible because alone time is so natural for me where all of a sudden I'm lonely and I've like fallen so far into this that I'm like, this is just what I need to do to to recharge. But I'm like, I'm already full. And so then I'm just in this like cycle. And so I think 
Does that make sense? I I, th- yes. I think there's this just there's like this it, fine line of yeah. like needing the world versus needing to retreat from it. And did hmm. Rebecca Mackay's piece on how the introvert extrovert mm-hmm. script has been flipped. flipped in COVID? Oh, and I saw the I saw the headline, but I have not. Mm. I have not. And read I was it. like, no, but it will. It only my only point in in bringing it up was just I was like, yeah. Good. It's yeah. about time. Finally. Yeah. And, yes. No, and I'm like Rebecca Mackay, like, damn it, could we bring it back around? The extrovert no. would like to bring yeah, it back where, around. Yeah, where do you fall? Okay, so Kate, you're an extrovert. And I'm an I'm introvert. Yes. Okay, yes. yeah. Okay, so Same. interesting. But I will yeah. say that I didn't know it for a long time, or, you know, we can get into how we disguise all of the things that are true about mm-hmm. ourselves, but I was never alone. I was the kind of person that was never alone, That's never alone. Saying but mm-hmm. always lonely. And I was like, That's what, what is say. happening? I am never alone. Mm. I have so many friends and things to do and blah, blah, blah. And why do I always feel lonely? And mm. it wasn't until I understood that was depleting me from both ends. I was like, right. not ever going inward, never recharging, mm-hmm. never kind of coming to understand who I am and what's yeah. happening and, and processing anything. So yeah, yeah. Totally. that's what I was going to say. I think no matter which end of the spectrum you fall on, this is a, this is a thing, meaning you yes. will wonder at times, do I just need to be alone or, but now I feel lonely. And even if I'm surrounded by people, why do I feel lonely? So I think this yeah. fine line affects us all, no matter which end of the spectrum we are. Yeah, Absolutely. because we don't ever know how to stop. We know yeah. what we like and we want to keep doing it. And then it. you realize, oh, I've crossed over into something else entirely now. Mm-hmm. And it looks similar, you know, mm-hmm. it's alone. But then how come all my good aloneness time is making me feel lonely? And so, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And just yeah. community and being in community is often just such a privilege. It's yeah. hard mm-hmm. to come by now, authentic communities and and community is like a social determinant of health. It's like, it's proven that we need people. And so I think yeah. all the, char- both of the characters kind of grapple with that. And, yeah. and as I, as I do and did, I mean, especially in the pandemic, as, as you mentioned, like uh, there was this moment where at, like, it was just my partner and I for like a year and I was like, great. I was feeling like <laughs> just, just from his company, you know, and like yeah. those like y- yard hangs, like a couple times a month. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm full. My cup is full. This is great. Finally. This is the right of social <laughs> yeah. interaction. And yeah. he was just uh, wilting, just wilting, like another yeah. Zoom happy hour. It's not enough. I just miss concerts and stuff. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. I think it's something yeah. that the pandemic kind of gave us and as well as a lot of terrible things. It's just maybe some self-awareness around what we need. Yeah. yeah. And again, to have what it feels like uh, to have the introverts have a moment. And also, as you mm-hmm. were saying, I'm only about community. It's hard to find. It's a privilege, but it, it's also kind of can, can be confusing too, because you think I have friends mm-hmm. on Instagram or TikTok followers mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And you think this is my community, but, but how deep is it really going? How deep do you need it to go? Are you aware of yeah. that? Do you assess any of that? And it's, it's, yeah, yeah it's a, a balance, maybe it's a it's yeah. an inquiry for sure. Yeah, yeah. I like inquiry. Balance yeah. is hard. Just, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. Just gonna say, it's true. It's a tough one for me. It yeah. is. It I is. heard once it was like maybe we should strive for harmony. It's like mm. at some point things are like playing like some instruments in our life are like take the melody oh and others God. are I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a musician, but you know what I'm saying. There's like yes. different yes. levels. Everything's at a level. Um, yes. So I think and about that I, sometimes. I like mm. that. I really like that. I like that too. Um, okay. As we've already discussed, this book really centers on Lewis and Wren and kind of this metaphor for a challenging first year of marriage and the grief that, that goes and the processing that goes. But we also get to know more as you're talking about when Wren finally realizes her struggle in accepting what's happening to Lewis and what's happening to their marriage and her, she starts to go inward and think, where is all this coming from? How do I kind of integrate what has happened to me and I've been able to leave behind with who it has made me today? Mm-hmm. And to do that, I was happy to learn more about her mother, Angela. Mm-hmm. Um, we know right from the start, very early on in the book, that that 
Angela and Ren had a complicated relationship, which we also love on this podcast, but it was painted kind of like as one thing or as, as maybe anyone's challenging mother and daughter relationship. And then as we get Angela's point of view, it's so much more complex than that. And I won't say mm-hmm. any more than that, but it is so layered and so nuanced and there's there's mm-hmm. so much in there. We, How did you know? I want to talk about Angela a little bit, your development mm-hmm. of her character, and how did you know she needed a POV and a, a point of view in the book that we would get to not only know who she was as Ren's mother, but who she was as a child and, mm-hmm. and how this, as you mentioned before, this intergenerational stuff, damage, um, issues mm-hmm. came through her too. Yeah. That's a great jumping off point for this aspect of the writing process, which yes, there are those moments of um, like lightning strikes and you know, this is important. I have to follow this. And then there's also mud. And yeah. um, <laughs> and I knew that Angela was important in the story. And I knew that I wanted her mother to have a presence But it was much later in the drafting process that I realized that she needed her entire section and her entire story. And I think that just serves all the women in the story. I I didn't want them to be explained by, you know, illusions or anecdotes or I just felt like they deserve to exist. And it's hard to say this without spoiling anything, but to show that someone who had such a, a challenging life as Angela did to give her a full arc was really important to me. And I think so many people go through challenges and it's really just so random, so luck of the draw, who's going to have a challenging life and who's not. And I don't think any life is more valuable than another just because it doesn't have those those, those peak experiences compared to another story. And so and telling Angela's story was 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 really meaningful to me. And also, I got to go back in time. It takes place in Oklahoma. Um, and I kind of did a little geographical autofiction, I guess. It's not my hometown, but it's also not not my hometown. Um, so I feel like I was able to just keep the parts that worked and discard the rest. And I actually worked with my mom a lot on that part because she grew up also in that town and has lived there for most of her life. And so just just being able to kind of ask her in kind of a dramaturgical way, which is a like a theater nerd word for like a, kind of the researcher historian person, she'd be like, that wasn't like that in 1983 or like we didn't do that then. And so that was also really fun. So I think I got to go into myself and my own kind of like layered history with Oklahoma in kind of a meta way while working on this. I love that. Yeah. 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 And so was it far into the process that you knew she needed a point of view and that we needed to get more of her? Yeah, I would say yeah. so. It yeah. was I definitely had the entire first section written and then I was like I knew that I I needed to get in there with her, but I wasn't sure how. I chose not to do flashbacks because like I said I wanted each woman's story to stand alone and I felt that it was important to not kind of interrupt that and I just had to be bold in that. I was like there are people yes. that are like, oh, that you know, the continuity, I need the continuity of, you know, like having all the characters woven together. But I just intuitively, I just felt like it wasn't that kind of book. So I kind of dealt mm. with each section as it came. Yeah. So yes, I didn't mm. know immediately, but it did come to me. And I did the most work in Angela's section for mm. sure. I was wondering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the mud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's beautiful section. And Corinne and I, as she mentioned, get a little bit deep here at times of, of mommy issues. And we have very complicated, but loving relationships with our own mothers. And you said that your mother helped you in this. And I read in your acknowledgements too, that even though you are not a mother, that her mothering of you really yeah. helped you with this. And there, I want to read another passage if I can, that is really beautiful about being a mother. So she took a last look at the woman who raised her, the woman who taught her how to read when she was four, how to flip over a tip canoe, how to patch and embroider a hole in a pair of jeans so they looked more special than a brand new pair, how to ignore the voices of those who claimed to have better ideas than her own. This was the woman who taught her to go beyond their small town, even though she had never done so herself. Her mother, who laughed so loud it echoed in the halls of the Cross Timbers Motel. Her mother, 
who could drive anything but chose to walk, even in terrible weather, so she could observe the world changing slowly with the seasons. Her mother, who made the most delicious pancakes and baked bread from scratch. Her mother, who could identify every bird by name and call. Her mother, who could grow a garden in an eggshell. Her mother, the kindest person she would ever know. Her mother, her mother, her mother, her mother, her mother. And I just, that, I mean, I hope your mother is proud of that paragraph. (laughs) It is really beautiful. Also made me cry Hmm. because even though I do have a complicated relationship with my mother, I read things like that and I think, you know... Yeah, there's, there, it is. She's my mother. And there's so much. Yeah. If I tried, I probably could also recount yeah. so many things like that and, and times like that and instances mm-hmm. where about her that really do make her my mother. So yeah, I wanted to talk to you about why you wanted to explore motherhood in this. There's a lot more than just Angela and her point of view, even Ren's complicated thoughts about whether or not she wants to become a mother. Mm-hmm. There's the tiny pregnant woman who's mm-hmm. pregnant with birds and just motherhood is is throughout. So yeah. so tell us about why you were interested in, in exploring this aspect, the complicated aspect of motherhood. Yeah. I think once I had the characters on their feet, this is going to sound like a super woo-woo, but I think it's what they wanted to explore. Mm, and mm. I think Rachel Yoder, who wrote Night Bitch, said yep. this in an article or an interview something, and I just remember it. But like, there is no more essential topic to humanity than motherhood. Like, It's at the beginning of all of us. And so I think in my own inquiry of maybe it's lifelong, I don't know, of just understanding what kind of woman I want to be and how I want to use my voice... I think these women just came to me and they all have such a different perspective on it as well. The element of choice around motherhood and how well it goes. And Mm -hmm. I I definitely didn't want to shy away from the traumatic aspects of womanhood. Like I said, I've not been, I've not been pregnant or, and I'm not a mother myself, but I have witnessed in my friends the way that it can be really hard, both physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of write that, but not in a literal way, as you'll see in the tiny pregnant woman. And she was one of my favorite characters to yes. write, I think, especially after last summer and all of the terrible happenings around women's reproductive rights. Like, I think mm-hmm. I got to channel so much of my rage into that character. And I could have done more, <laughs> but it was like, I was like, yeah. she's, she doesn't have her own book yet, but maybe one right. day. But yeah, so I think that, I love that. yeah, I, I think it just kind of came organically with the territory. Mm-hmm. Emily, you're saying something that, you know, there's no word for, because you pointed out you're not a mother. I'm not sure that's relevant to like how clear eyed you are about so much of what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. But the truth is we don't have a word. There's no daughterhood, right? Mm -hmm. We don't talk about – because this is all through Ren's eyes. And that passage that Kate read is fairly late in the book. I'd like to read one from early in the book because even when she has a different understanding of her mother, it's still her as a daughter. It's still, Mm -hmm. you know, Ren as a daughter. So there's an early passage that says, Ren's mother nurtured and raised her. But at a certain point in her childhood, Wren had to nurture and raise her mother. Angela gave Wren a life and home, but also took her childhood and innocence, her curiosity and flexibility, her imagination and wonder. Sometimes Wren said she resented her mother, and other times Wren missed her so much it was hard to move, to breathe. Gosh, I did not expect to get emotional reading that. (laughs) My family was one where I, you know, I think when you have a sick parent in any way, shape or form, we talked about this with V.E. Schwab, that you grow up in a different Mm -hmm. way and you feel a different way. And you captured so much of that in Ren. And my point, again, was that we don't talk about even, uh oh, I was, I'm sorry for this tangent, but a friend of mine recently said, oh, well, your family's so excited about X, Y, Z. And I said, my family, Mm -hmm. my family's not excited. My mom, this, my dad, this, my brother, this. And she was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I meant your husband and your children. That's your family. But 
We still, Mm. I I mean, I'm a mother and I still sometimes am foremost a daughter to both my mother and my father. And so Mm. that is really what you capture beautifully here. And the growth that Ren has from maybe a less mature to a more mature perspective on all of that is Mm -hmm. growth, but she's still a daughter. And even, you know, as she considers being a mother, she is still a daughter. Yeah. So I wonder if that was anywhere in your thought Mm. process, because again, you didn't really shift the perspective that strongly. And even when Angela, your Angela's perspective She's a daughter too, and you give She's us Colleen, and you give us mm-hmm. her mom. So mm-hmm. there's such a strong perspective of a daughter in this book. Did that ever? Yeah. Was that conscious to you, or? Yeah, I think yeah. That's such an interesting question. I've not thought of it that way. I always felt like I was reaching into motherhood, and I'm like, I think this is what it would feel like. I think this is what it would be like. But yeah, I hadn't quite thought about how. This is also a book about daughterhood. Um, Maybe we should have put that on the blurb. Who knows? (laughs) No, (laughs) people would have been confused. Yeah, Yeah, what's daughterhood? Exactly. I mean, if you're a woman like Rin, though, I mean, it is it isn't not a passive role. It's not a role of receiving. It's so interesting. I at one point, this is kind of funny. My editor gave me notes on on the draft and. It was in the Angela section. And this is part of what I mean by the mud in the Angela section. Mm-hmm. So I don't think this spoils much. I have to say it. So we meet Ren when she's a baby in the second part. But I mean, I am not responsible for an infant, never have been responsible for an infant. I really don't know. So my editor, Mary Sue, on one page, like Angela's like going to work, like doing stuff. And she writes in like kind of a small, like small letters, like baby, question mark. A few pages later, like bigger letters, baby, question mark. Where's the baby? (laughs) Now it's at the whole bottom of the page, bigger letters. I mean, this is like a progression, like every four to five pages, baby, question mark, exclamation. Point. And then finally, on the next page, she's like, Emily, when you are responsible for a child, you think about it all the time. You, ha- you know, <laughs> it was so oh. funny. Yeah, I was like, oh, you're great. right. So I talked to my friend, Abby, who is a new mom. And she just like, really honestly, for like an hour and a half, I asked her all these questions and she gave me all the details. And so, so many of the details about like new motherhood in particular are just like pulled directly from that conversation. And so I'm super grateful for her that she was able to be that that honest and generous with her experience. And but anyway, my editor (laughs) made me laugh. Yes. Oh I love it. Yeah. Oh well I have to ask you something. I mean we've talked woo woo and weird here, so I think it'll be fine. But oh my gosh, this story. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we need to talk about our town. The play that is mentioned, Thornton Wilder's play, which is mentioned many times in the book Mm -hmm. because Lewis is a drama teacher and his kids are performing Mm -hmm. it. But then in your acknowledgments, you thank many playwrights that inspired you, including Thornton Wilder's Our Town, and you called it a work that is among my greatest teachers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Indulge me here for a moment. I saw an astrologer who also read my tarot. This is not an unusual thing for me to do, but I did it with a new one recently Mm -hmm. a few months ago. And while we're talking, she says, if you don't mind, when we're done, I'm going to send you some homework. It's Mm -hmm. something for you to read. And I said, awesome. First of all, I've never met homework I didn't like. Mm -hmm. And second of all, reading, sure, whatever. I don't know what I thought it was going to be from an astrologer, but I didn't think it was going to be this. Wow. She told me to read Our Town. And I have had it sitting on my desk, okay, Emily, for months. Because, of course, I I follow an assignment. I ordered it, but I didn't read it. And she explained to me in this email, which I forgot about. I went back Mm -hmm. to find it yesterday, why she thought I needed this book. And, of course, not book, this play. So, of course, yesterday I read Our Town. Mm-hmm. I did read it, Corinne, after I emailed you. I was like, I cannot speak to Emily not having read it. But I need to know, I can tell you my take, but I need to know what our town means to you and the yeah. lessons. How, why is it your greatest teacher? Because I believe you are going to teach me that you're yeah. going to be the reason now I understand why she asked me to read this. 
Oh, that's so interesting. I, well, first no of all, pressure. I have like goosebumps <laughs> no. right now. And I so also crazy? like feel like even safer with you. Like right before this, this call, I, I like, you can't see this, but on the shelf above, there's like all my cards, you know, like <laughs> tarot archetypes, all oh, kinds of things. Oh my God. I was, I was like, maybe, maybe the people don't need to know that yet, but we're going in there. So I, I find <laughs> yep, that so oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, if it appears one more time, I feel like, whoa, okay. If it's like, I feel like threes are a big yeah, number. Yes. I don't know. So let me know if it's, if it's, I'll just, I'm just curious. If, <laughs> It yeah, arrives on your path in another way. I know, I think Ann Patchett is, is coming out with an, of our town book this summer as well. Um, oh, okay. And yeah. so happy to be in the, our town company of <laughs> delivery. Yes, yes. Yes, exactly. But yes, so our town, I feel like, well, for one, I used it in the play because I love the, I mean, in the book because I love the play, but also it's very much a, a play a high school would put on because it's <laughs> on the surface. It's like there's nothing provocative. It's about a town. Right. It's real wholesome. It takes place in far in the past in New England. It's like not going to ruffle any feathers with the administration or parents, especially in a more conservative place like Texas. So it's like our town is the play. But it has had resonance in my life since I was a little girl. When I was like under 10, I played Rebecca, the uh, George's sister who like climbs up on the ladder and like talks about the moon. And I didn't know what the play was about then. I was just really happy to be doing community theater. And then later in in college, that was the play that was like acting 101. We we did the Emily and George, like, can I carry your books for you scene? And we had to do it not looking at each other. So it was like an exercise in listening and like really being present and picking up on these nuances in in choice that are available in the text. And I mean, it was a super frustrating exercise because I was like, I can't look at my scene partner. I feel like I'm in a straitjacket here. I can't. I can't interact with them. So I had a touch with it then. And then later, I think I saw it in New York. And it was the first time I had seen a production. I mean, outside of being in it and using it as a scene study exercise in college. And I just like bawled my eyes out. I like, Mm -hmm. and it is that scene where like Emily's like going up the hill. And yeah, and I guess I share a name with one of the characters, which, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's that too. So Mm -hmm. maybe that is, (laughs) I, maybe I also feel connected because there's my namesake represented in the play. But I think as as far as a work of drama, it just achieves like structurally just excellence. I, I feel like it takes you through this robust arc, but doing really everyday things. And and I think that's the point of our town is that the simple things are really what life is about. And and the hard times and the good times, and we look back on it all, like that will be the greatest tale ever told and that those stories are happening everywhere all around us even in you know the most mundane things and places i think that i forget that sometimes myself and it's just nice to be reminded that yes life has these peak experiences like having a book published you know but also like there is beauty in the mud too like of working through the the hard creative problems and when i look back on things one day, the mud will be just as rich as the times when I was celebrating. So I think there's just a lot to be taken from at every stage of life, but just the grief in that play as well. It's just, it doesn't shy away from any aspect of what real life is. Mm -hmm. And I also just love how it conceives of souls and a lot like Shark Heart, I feel like the ancestors are very much within and through and around like all the living people. And I think about that sometimes, definitely with my grandparents and about how the choices they made impact me in a way that I'll never know and how grateful I am for that. Because even with the things that are hard for me and the things that come easily, like they are a part of me. Yes. Oh Oh my gosh. I know. I mean, so beautiful. And she told me that it resonated, she thought, or would resonate with me because I needed to understand this lesson of appreciating to live life to the fullest. And she told me to make a copy of Emily's famous monologue, she said. Mm. The goodbye to to clocks. and Yes. 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 But I didn't, when she told me that, I hadn't read it. So I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know yet. And she told me to put it on my desk next to my birth chart, mm. which I keep here. 
And Ooh, yeah. when I got to that last night, I was like, oh, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. And how we're just so blind that we don't appreciate what's happening yeah. while we're living. And yeah. it was just all the, so, all the tactile so details. Like, yes. And I think Lewis has that too. Like, yeah. like I think later in the book, he's like, mm-hmm. I, I miss fruit. I miss eating fruit. Yes. I, I miss feeling the sun and the light and mm-hmm. just the fact that we're like, I mean, not to like give anyone an existential crisis here, but the, <laughs> just, the, just like the, the grains of sand that we are, it's like, it's amazing mm-hmm. that we're all here together and that we're able to like take delight in things and find awe in the world. And I guess that just mm-hmm. kind of returns to that, like central tension in my personality of like, how do I be realistic, but also like remember to play and be a child and see the world in that way. Yes. I'm so glad that you just came back to that because that is something I've been thinking about so many aspects of astrology while we've been talking, Mm -hmm. which is funny because I didn't think about them in the same way. I originally thought I'd ask this question by saying, you give us a lot of births in the book. You know, we we kind of are there for the birth of, uh, of many characters. And I won't say much more about that, but over the course of this conversation, you've given me just so many things. Do you know anything about astrology? Like a lot of what you're talking about sounds like the mm-hmm. Saturn's return. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that, but that time yes. in your life when all of a sudden everything you've been doing stops working yeah. and you have to She's really like, go uh-huh. inwards and figure out who, like, how will I emerge from this period of time? And that yeah. is just all I thought about while we were talking. Wow, that's so cool that you brought that up. Because yes, this was my Saturn return book. I started mm-hmm. working on it in my late twenties and like yes. Yeah, it's like I'm kind of like yep. coming out of that now. Oh, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's, it's so really, perfect. Yeah. But in the time, like back to mud, it was just like, who am I? Like what am I doing? Oh, like, it feels terrible I, to change and, and to, like, to as, go through yeah, that. Yeah. As a person who has a lot of Ren in her, like of like needing a plan and having a direction, not feeling like I had that was really strange. Yeah. Um, for sure. It was like a complete total groundlessness that I think is probably where like a lot of like part three comes from like Mm. just and like also the ocean is just well maybe that was a little bit of a spoiler but it's just such a great metaphor for consciousness itself and all the things that kind of float in it and flow and it's so easy to go against against the grain and to resist what's happening but just to kind of like be in it and whatever it is i am not very good at it but i talk and write about it (laughs) yes well i i now i have to know too like do you know any you're you're, i'm sure you know your sun sign you're you're capricorn yeah Yeah. oh my gosh and then and then what's the the second one it's like is it is it your moon moon rising rising pisces as the as the rising. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> or moon. Yeah. Okay. That is amazing. Yeah. That rings very true to me. But when yeah. you were saying about kind of like you have these two parts of yourself, yeah. you know, it's, I don't prescribe to astrology like it's decided who I am. And I can talk about a lot of things in my own childhood that could, even that paragraph I read, yeah. that duality of she gave me a life, yeah. but you know she took my innocence kind of thing, like yeah. that duality. But I struggle with that. And and one thing I've taken comfort is knowing my sun sign is Aries. I have a lot of Pisces mm. in my chart. I'm on the cusp. Mm-hmm. And my moon sign is Capricorn. And those are mm. so opposed to each other. One of the the more wise and, and structured and disciplined yeah. signs with the fiery like let's blow the whole thing up kind of signs and yeah. that Saturn's return was was a lot about my integration of those two things so that yeah. also rings true for what your your it sounds like your chart a little bit you've got some of that going on too yeah for sure i i always <laughs> see astrology as like this map you know it's like or or a story and like anything, it's like you can, you'll see different things in the story, no matter when you read it. Like it's, that's yes. like, oh, that's like the that. beauty of rich stories is that they kind of just um, speak to us at different times, like our town. Like I think there's so many perspectives in that play that I don't and won't understand yet. Like, especially like 
I like, I think that, you know, to back to astrology, it's like the second Saturn return is like 58 or 60 mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. yep. like that. Like that Saturn return is like, right. I, I don't have access to that experience. And then the one beyond it of like, you know, leaving, leaving this earth and this body, like, mm-hmm. like I, I certainly like <laughs> that existential threat is certainly a part of me now, but it doesn't feel, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel immediate. It feels almost hypothetical or, and my editor said this to me in in a in just a, a casual conversation, but that loss is like part of the deal. Like we're given this mm. life, and like if it goes well, like we will lose the people that we love. And I think it's so helpful that we have things like astrology and spirituality and religion to kind of help us make meaning of whatever that is. Oh yeah! Wow! Yes! Oh. Yes. And you mentioned the tarot cards. You have them on the shelf that we can't see. So you're yeah. into the tarot. Yeah. I'm not. You, a, what's I'm your like, favorite deck? What's your favorite? I love, there's this artist. I think it's actually on this side. Her name is Kim Krantz. And, That's yes. and I, it's right here. I've got it. Right and here. I really, <laughs> I just buy all the, everything she makes. I think she is just such a, oh the yeah, I have unknown. that one. Yeah. Do you have the mm-hmm. archetypes one? No. Um, no. She has an animal deck as well. I really don't know how to use them officially. It's very freestyle yeah. for me. Like, um, me too. I am the kind of person who will like <laughs> try to put together a piece of furniture without reading the instructions and then like redo it later. <laughs> um, some instructions in me, I'm just like, would rather fly no. with it. Yes. Um, so yeah, but I really love her work. Do you guys have a favorite deck? That's my favorite. That one. Yeah. Yeah. The Kim yeah. Krantz one. That one. Yeah. It's, it's just it's so beautiful. beautiful. But I'm going to try her mm-hmm. others. Yeah. Yeah. The archetype deck is like the cards are round, which I really appreciate. Oh. It's very different. Oh, oh. yeah. Nice. Uh, we'll check you that should out. Have, you should have her on the podcast. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Can we do that? We still haven't had an astrologer. There's been a couple times we've been close because sometimes it. they do publish a book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I don't know about Corinne. I'm going to speak for myself. I'm just, yeah. I feel like it's going to be overwhelming. Like I'm going to want to talk to them forever and I'm not yeah. like, it's going to be like, ah, yeah, but yeah. but we can do it. We can do no, it. I, just yeah, planting no, a seed. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think a reading you. is, I'm like, I'm happy with a reading. <laughs> Instead yeah, of a, exactly. Yeah, you don't want to be like totally seen in the public yes, eye, and down exactly, to your studs. Yeah, exactly. All <laughs> of it. Yes, I love that. Oh, oh, well, we always like to ask our authors one last question about what you're loving right now. Any books, TV shows, anything that you're into? So many things. Okay, so mm. I was anticipating this, and I made a list because I feel like when people ask me what I'm oh. liking, it's almost mm-hmm. like trying to like remember my age or something. Like, I'm like, yes, oh, like yeah. 30 yeah. math, you know, yes. <laughs> on the fly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm going to, I'm going to read from my list here. Okay. The first one is the Sopranos and it has been on my to watch list for like 15 years and we're finally getting <laughs> oh to it. <laughs> oh my God. And it has been a months long journey. We're in season five right now. And oh. I feel like I understand the canon of American television in a completely new yeah. way. Like, mm. I'm like, oh, this is where Mad Men and Breaking Bad and like all those like great American television from that golden age, like yeah. they came from this. And yeah. Yeah. have you have you guys seen it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Not some, not oh, much. Oh, you have not? I, I've seen, oh, I've definitely seen what? some. Did I have I seen this? none of like Breaking Bad, not a single episode. I've watched it. A couple seasons of Mad Men. I'm just not into anything that everybody's into. But weren't you watching those in real time? I mean, I was just watching those in real time. I mean, Sopranos, I was But everyone was into them. 100%. It doesn't matter about going back. It was everybody. Yeah, but then I've gone back to other ones too. But Breaking Bad, I've seen Mad Men. I've seen them all. Yeah. Yeah. But Sopranos, you're right, is really like like the foundation. You can't, exactly. It is. Mm -hmm. It's foundational. You can't not. No, or the wire. Some people would actually argue the wire too. I have not seen the wire. That might be next. But I find that I write. If I'm, if I'm watching junk TV, it really affects my writing. Like I, I have to be watching good TV because it just gets it gets in my head. Yes, that is so right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a junk TV fan, but it has to be on an off 
cycle. It can't be yep. like when I'm really yep. in it. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm working on something, I'm just like, nope, gotta, gotta, gotta keep elevate. it prestige, you yeah. know, you know, you, you yeah. are what you eat kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> okay. My second thing I'm loving this summer is a play I saw a month or so ago when I was visiting a friend in New York. It's called Fat Ham by James Imes. And it won the Pulitzer last year for drama. And it's this fabulous retelling of Hamlet and it contains like cultural references. It's about being queer in the South. It's about toxic masculinity. It's about black joy. And it also is about all the things that Hamlet is about as well. Right. And I have never <laughs> oh been God. so like joyfully, surprisingly displaced by a mm. piece of theater in my life. And I think I can, yeah, it's it's a big deal. It'll probably is it still out. Look at me writing this down. I'm yeah, like, is it's this... still. I think it will. It has to go on tour. So if it comes okay. to Boston where I live, I'm just gonna see it like a couple of times. I, yeah. I really, really loved it. It was it was really oh, special. I love it. Oh, okay. And the next book that I loved recently was Everything's Fine by oh. Cecilia Rebez. Mm-hmm. I could yeah. not put it down. Do you know it's we so we funny. heard about you and Sharkheart from her? From it's her. So yes. it's so wonderful. I. I, yeah. When you feel that mutual, I was listening to her episode and I yeah. was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. she mentioned Sharkheart. And it's yes. like, when you feel yes. that mutual admiration for an author, mm-hmm. I don't have deal. very many author friends. And so like <laughs> th- these like connections of like, I can just email you and you know, <laughs> read each other's work. Yes. Like it's amazing. But mm-hmm. yeah, we met doing some promotional stuff through Simon and Schuster this spring. And I got the advanced readers copy of her book and I really could not put it down. And I have a super mm-hmm. short attention span. So that means something. And mm-hmm. um, I also just think it's a really important book, both what's happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you read the New York Times um, profile yes. on her about yes. about like the horrors of Goodreads and, yeah. and the and the internet and spreading false news. Um, yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, but I think that it's I just really admire her as a person as well. I think that she's both her book is important and then her work around the book for other authors is important. Like, anyway, I just couldn't say, Mm -hmm. I couldn't say higher things, but yeah, she's, we are with you there. Yes, we are with you there. We loved that book Um, and, and agree with all of that. The the work around it is just as enchanting. Yeah, I feel like that's what artists are for, like cult, mm. to be a culture bearer and yeah. to move the needle. Like yeah. it's not always pleasant work. And I hope that she gets the accolades that she really deserves. Yeah. It's a really wonderful book. Same. And then lastly, I am loving Chasing Shadows by Greg Skomal. Mm. And this is a book that's connected to my book because, well, I keep calling him my great white shark informant. Oh, but, yes. But he's, but he's really <laughs> not my informant. He's like a... <laughs> <laughs> He's a, like a famous marine biologist in the great white shark space. Like you cannot Google great white sharks without seeing his name. He's been on like all kinds of documentaries. And I saw a TED talk of his and I was like, I need to speak to this man for research because writing about a great white shark, like yeah. I absolutely had to get into the tactile details of like mm. what it's like to be close to one. And you can read about like, you know, kind of distance anatomy, but I was like, what does it feel like and yes. smell like and all those things. Yeah. So I was like, I knew I needed to speak to someone who's worked closely with them. And so, yeah, he spoke to me on the phone for like an hour and like actually like went on the imaginative journey with me, which is really <gasps> exciting. So cool. Yes. Yeah. It was wonderful. I was so intimidated. I was like, oh my gosh, he's a real scientist. <laughs> and you know. And right. but but he was just like so down to earth and like with it. I wasn't like, you know, I I wasn't like diminishing his like yeah. Yes. Work or anything like I was like this is just 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 a wonderful person I'm so glad you're we like got so to what is together. it like if I hug a shark yeah, because yeah, these details because, because yes. clearly you I mean yeah. we knew the whole time reading this book that you had researched because you had such amazing details that that didn't feel like you were ever feeding us you know like what you had researched it was really, yeah it was really integrated <laughs> into the story and their struggles you know with this change but totally. Well, yes, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's where it's that's, from. That's all Greg. And he was like, yeah, it will feel like road rash if you like hug a shark. So, good. And so yeah, all of those questions. And then yeah. 
So when you write a book, you don't have to know how to say every word you write. And so, uh, yes. So I'm like writing these like big anatomical words that have to do with sharks. And then like yes. the audiobook director emails me and he, and she's like, how do you, how do you say these words? And she gives me this list and I'm like, oh no, I'm about to be discovered <laughs> like, here. <laughs> so I record myself and send them to Greg and he's, yeah. yeah. And he's like, no. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice set me on the right path. Yes. Yeah, we're doing an event together in Cape Cod. If any listeners are oh. around, I think it's at the oh. end of August. The date is escaping me, but those are the oh, things I'm loving. Um, yes. oh, that all is different, great. but incredible. Very salient yes. to this summer right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, Perfect. Emily, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us and indulge some of our kind of tangential questions and and going off into daughterhood and 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 the road rash of hugging a shark. I mean, I don't know yeah. what other you will never <laughs> hear this in an interview again. I hope no one has the pleasure of that. (laughs) And for being my gateway into our town. You got it off my desk and into my hands. And so I am am forever grateful. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you both for having me. In the spirit of improv, you both very much have yes and energy. So Mm. I appreciate all your good questions and for being just such amazing readers. I loved hearing those passages out loud. Yeah. And thank you for for being in it with us and being willing to go there with us. So thank you. Absolutely. All right. Shark heart. Everybody get it. Yes. (laughs)